Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a realm where reality intertwines with the inexplicable, where the boundaries of reason dissolve into the shadows of uncertainty. Welcome to the political twilight zone. I am your guide to this enigmatic labyrinth, where politics and power take on life of their own. In this dimension, the threads of truth weave a tapestry of intrigue, challenging our perception of the world we thought we knew. In this world, nothing is as it seems, and the truth lies buried beneath layers of deceit. Prepare to venture where reason meets the unexplained, and where the unexplained Hi, might just be. Here we are, uh, flying in another weekend. Appreciate you joining us here today. This is Rick Wagner, getting it right here on uh, KNZZ KGLN. We're eleven hundred and uh, nine eighty on the AM side, and you know some other places on the other side. So if you are uh, listening to us, we appreciate it. We're also on the internet. If you want that, you can always get our podcasts. So uh, I appreciate you doing that as well. So quite a week, huh? Yeah, uh, I was trying to think of something that hasn't been said a million times before uh, about the Trump indictment in Georgia and everything else. I mean, we've heard that endlessly debated, and certainly Mark Levin's done a better job of explaining some of it than I can. But there's a couple of things I can say, uh, having a fair amount of experience on the criminal side of prosecution and uh, some apprehension. <laughs> Uh, is that this crazy thing in Georgia with the 19 indictments and everything where she said, and I, I wrote this on the website at our, you know, Rick Wag, the rickwagnershow.com, and she said that she intends to try all of these defendants together. Really? Well, that will be quite a trick because it's almost impossible to t- tie that many people with these kinds of charges at the same time. There are so many different ways that conflicts can arise during something like that that would uh, lead to the one or more of them not getting a fair trial because of the evidence that would get introduced about the others. So for her to say that tells me that she's as big a dunce as she seems and uh, that the people of Fulton County, Georgia, are served very poorly by her, um, especially with the amount of money this is going to cost. And, you know, that's Atlanta. And Atlanta, like many of our cities is uh, not a safe place to be. It is not an island of tranquility in the state of Georgia, and yet she has no apparent interest in that. Another Soros-backed prosecutor, who I have to admit, I mean, he certainly got his way. He tried many times, you know, to get things passed in various states and was able to in California a couple of times. And he tried the Secretary of State project. You guys may remember that, where he was trying to get Secretary of States elected in various places. Um... You know, in my my state here in California, California. <laughs> good Lord, no, in uh, Colorado, you know, we have a Secretary of State that is, uh, well, let's just say that balance, fairness, logic, and reason are not present in her psyche from all appearances and actions. But anyway... You know, secretaries of states, as we may know, is a very important in the voting process. So he liked that idea for a while. And then he decided that if he couldn't get some of his statutes created uh, in states by uh, funding, you know, various efforts to get things in the ballot and things like that, that it would be just easier and cheaper to just uh, fund some DA races, uh, people whose job it was to enforce these, to bring them to trial and have what is called prosecutorial discretion. That's a peculiar concept, uh, unless you are in the system and see that the system is constantly overwhelmed. And this isn't something that just happened now. I mean, it's been, it's been overwhelmed in terms of numbers for decades. And unless 
there's some discretion about what cases you charge and what you charge them with and things like that, then the whole thing gets swamped, and I've talked about that before. So you need that discretion. The point is it can't be abused, and it's being abused now in so many different ways. It is abused in for reasons that uh, it's hard to even contemplate. Uh, this is a situation here that we see. What we have is someone who takes their oath of office very lightly, but does take their political affiliation very heavily. And, of course, she thinks she's going to run for something else, too. I mean, they all do. I mean, they think this will put them in the public eye, and she's herself as governor or senator or, you know, every one of these idiots uh, look in the mirror and see a, a senator looking back. And, by the way, I mean, there's plenty of senators looking back that are as dumb as she is, so let's not say that she's way out of line thinking that. Um, it's going to be an interesting thing to see. And yes, as some commentators have said out there, uh, this is a little more dangerous one because, as we know, the states have control over voting. They generally have laws more on point concerning voting and influence vote, voting trends and so forth like that, and certainly the machines and all that other stuff, you know, polling places, I guess would be a better way to put it. It's going to be more forcefully addressed from them because the feds have to sort of cast a wider blanket but uh you know take existing statutes that aren't quite on point and try and uh, shape them around behavior and the people who are working in in the states don't usually have to do that they have statutes in line now the actions that they're saying that people took and trying to match up to them can be pretty weak but they do have those those charges available now, if I recall right, I think one of the charges, uh, gosh, uh, that Trump has got going with him is something from uh, the time of the Ku Klux Klan after the during Reconstruction. Uh, you know, when uh, the Democrats, you know, were really uh, a problem down there uh, with the, you know, what they were doing after Reconstruction, and you guys all know that. So that's being used. Uh, that's a pretty sad situation when you have to go back that far in time. But yeah, it could get it could get bad. And Fulton County, Georgia, where this is brought, is not exactly a hotbed of Trump support. I think uh, now, compared to Washington D.C., you know, it's it's practically Wisconsin. Washington D.C. about five percent of the people in the District of Columbia voted for Donald Trump, as you've probably heard. I think in Fulton County, I think twelve percent voted for Donald Trump. So it's more than twice as much as D.C. But it's still a pretty small amount, so you can imagine what kind of jury panel you're going to get. And, you know, after watching this week the breathless coverage while they were uh, trying to get the indictment, the indictment that was strangely posted hours before the grand jury had voted on these things and then taken down by some mistake, which, by the way, the district attorney there had no idea what happened. <laughs> had no idea. You know, that's something you actually you are in charge of, at least partly. Now, you can say, well, the clerk's office posted it, but how'd they get it? How'd they get a hold of it? What, nobody asked her that. How did they get a hold of that indictment? It's not like it's sitting on their desk in the clerk's office. It's the district attorney has control of that and in the grand jury proceedings. They don't just pass copies around of it. So I'd be curious to know how they got it to even post it. Let's say it was a mistake. Well, what did they do with it to begin with? I guess we'll never know. The world seems to be full of things that we're never going to know. Even when we do know them, it doesn't seem to make any difference. Hunter Biden, apparently, is the walking example of that. But we will see, I think, some interesting things come out of this. Uh, many people have asked me, uh, you know, well, what is the Supreme Court going to do in this and that? 
a lot of these issues may not rise to the level of the Supreme Court because, you know, the Supreme Court can only hear issues that have to do with the federal constitution. So in order to get it in front of the U.S. Supreme Court, you have to have your appeal based on some nexus of part of the U.S. Constitution. Now, you can usually do that, uh, you know, equal treatment under the law, you have 14th Amendment thing, you have a Fifth Amendment thing, you know, that you can try and do it. But it's not as straightforward because it's not a federal court. So they're going to work really hard at bringing these charges in a way that it doesn't, you know, that they're part of the uh, Georgia Constitution and the power of the state of Georgia. It makes it a little harder to get up in front of the Supremes that way. I mean, they're not idiots about it. I mean, they have idiots doing it, but the people that are manipulating it, I don't think, are. Uh, the federal charges, uh, I think, probably can go up. And I'm sure they can. I think Jack Smith has got several things in there that just will not stand constitutional muster. But they don't really care. I mean, they'd love to lock up Donald Trump, don't get me wrong. But they figure they can tie things up long enough, to, long before the Supremes are going to do anything, even with uh, expedited hearing, that it's probably the damages that are going to be done in their mind. So we'll have to see. Of course, his credibility out there is nil, really. I mean, Jack Smith's, I mean, look at his record. You know, Trump may be a uh, a bloviator and a self-promoter, a little bit of a narcissist, but uh, Jack Smith's got a worse reputation <laughs> at his job. You know, he's not good at his job. People that get uh, convictions and have them completely thrown out uh, by the Supreme Court and essentially chastised for, for bringing the case, does not do a good job. And also, uh, we'll have to see how this works. I mean, he's a he's a mean headhunter. Doesn't mean he's a great lawyer. So we'll see how that goes. We'll be back. Oh, hi, everybody. Thanks for sticking with us there. Uh, I appreciate that. <laughs> I uh, Now, people listening to the podcast out there don't get to hear the bumper music. Uh, we put something else on there. that uh, and But I have to mention it because those listening on the radio, we played uh, Scott McKenzie, and many of you probably have his album, uh, you know, probably on the shelf now, uh, his DVD, uh, of San Francisco, right? And I think that was made in like 60, late 67, early 68. And (laughs) I had to play it because I wanted to talk a little bit about society, the way it's going right now. And that song, of course, talks about if you're going to San Francisco, be sure and wear some flowers in your hair and... Then there's some more music, and then because uh, you're going to meet some gentle people there. And if you think about the state of San Francisco right now, it, first, it's funny. Secondly, it's tragically ironic. But I was thinking, and I, I know this is kind of mean, but I was thinking, if you're going to San Francisco, be sure and take some bear spray in your car. Yes, I think that is probably a, a wiser choice these days. And aside from making fun of them, it's an interesting study, isn't it, folks? I, I had some people talking to me about crime and asking me, you know, kind of discussing it about how does this all end up with these crime waves in these cities and really creeping into other places, too. I said, you know, it's interesting. I said, I, I, I've been trying to think about that. We've had unrest before, many times in our history. The 30s, particularly, with political unrest. And everybody knows about the 60s. Now, the 60s have sort of taken on a golden glow for many people, especially people who weren't, weren't particularly old during that time or even weren't around at the time. 
it's sort of like, wow, these guys, you know, they were peaceful hippies and uh, they drove VW buses where they changed the VW to a peace sign and they went to Woodstock and they flashed everything. It was great. Well, no, it wasn't. It was a lot of social upheaval. There was, of course, the civil rights movement at the same time, which was far from a calming influence. George Wallace standing in the door of the school. There was a lot of things going on. Uh, there was, of course, the assassination of Robert Kennedy. You know, it was, and then of course Martin Luther King. So there were some, there were serious problems there, and there were some violent groups around. Of course, they're teaching at uh, Illinois now. I mean, uh, we have, of course, the Weather Underground, and their followers. Barack Obama knew a couple of those, and so th- there was a lot going on. There were things getting blown up. There was, uh, you know, Black Path, Black Panther movement, and so forth, but. There wasn't just pure crime. Now, part of what was going on in America at that time, and a lot of you know that, is this huge surge of people coming to a certain age at the kind of the same time. The baby boomer generation was an enormous demographic bulge of population that, you know, that were close in age moving through the system. And as they moved through the system, that group of people changed things. You know, when they moved through the primary and elementary schools, it caused a lot more construction. It caused a lot of changes in the educational system trying to accommodate that. And then, of course, by the time they got to college, everything uh, was starting to, you know, come apart because these people all had a cause at the time. And, you know, people that age, everybody has a cause when you're 17, 18, 20, you know, right in that age. You know, everybody's a rebel. Uh, that's been going on a long time. And, of course, we had the Vietnam War. They all sort of rallied around. That was a big problem for them, especially people who think they were going to get drafted. And so that was sort of the flashpoint. And a lot of other things grew out of that. But they had a point. I'm not saying it was a good point or particularly helpful in some areas. And there were other social upheavals, too. I mean, there was, uh, you know, birth control. The uh, birth control pill was it came out during this time, and there was a lot of you know back and forth things we can't hardly think about now. But there's a lot of back and forth and problems about that between the Catholic Church and a lot of that. But that was there's still if you look at these things, most of them are actual causes. You may not agree with them, or I think they're all that important, but they were they were sort of political and causes. Now, a lot of the people were throwing their hats into the ring of you know wanting to be agitators, just wanted to be agitators, or wanted to be cool. You know, it was it was cool to be, you know, a, sort of a modern beatnik at that time where you'd moved on from the beret and the bongos and now you were protesting and, you know, wearing a headband uh, and not bathing particularly often. That that was your rebellion. And gosh, kids that age have been rebelling all the time, but there was a lot more politics out there for it. But there wasn't just plain crime. Now... There was a little more of it. I mean, if you go back and read some of the stuff during the time, you'll see there was the juvenile delinquent problem. That pops up a lot in the 60s uh, because there was just a lot more people who were adolescents at the time. And when you have a lot of adolescents, some of which don't have anything to do or are not in great circumstances, you start having problems. And so juvenile delinquency was uh, brought up a lot if you start studying the 60s a little bit. Now, of course, we're way past that now, aren't we? Delinquency? <laughs> I mean, what we have now is a feral society in many places. You know, feral is this idea that something that was reasonably domesticated or was, you know, calm and getting along at one point 
has uh, turned into the wild and no longer obeys the rule of domesticity. Now, feral dogs and cats, you know, things that people, things that have been house pets for people, we're familiar with that. And also, we're not as familiar, but I say is interesting, is that wild pigs, many of you know this, are one of the few creatures that when they go, go back to the wild, if they escape from, you know, captivity and all that, they physically change. They get bigger, their skin gets thicker, their uh, snout gets longer, and they grow tusks. <laughs> I mean, not in generations, but that particular pig becomes a boar. And so when things become feral, they become a lot more unruly. Now, that doesn't bother us so much if there's cats out there, you know, running around eating crickets and this and that. They're pretty equipped for that. Dogs have a little harder time, but uh, and they could be more deadly to people, obviously. But when people become feral, that looks completely different, doesn't it? When they've cast off all the rules of society and are living a completely different kind of existence. And when you see it in front of you, because there's a camera every two feet when you're out in public now, you see people who have absolutely no interest in the contours of society. They're not wishing to participate in it because they don't think it gets them all that far. They are schooled by political parties to believe that everyone is against them and because everything is against them, they can fight back by you know doing whatever they want. And of course, what they want many times is to take other people's stuff and uh, then occasionally harm people. Well, more than occasionally. And it's a sad situation to see places in San Francisco, that's why I played that that music, (laughs) where people are parking their cars along the streets with the windows rolled down and some of the trunks open, or in the case of SUVs, the hatch is open, because what has been happening is people just been going along breaking into them, see if there's anything in there. So, you know, they're getting $600 for the damage done to their vehicle so someone can get the change out of their ashtray that they were going to use if there was a parking meter. And so it was, it's simpler to just say, look, there's nothing in here. Take a look. I think about that because you know what that is? That's surrender. <laughs> that is, that is just surrendering to the whole thing. That's deciding and, and saying, in effect, I have no power here. I cannot control society. I'm not in control of my own destiny. I not only cannot rely on civilization and the social contract, but I can't even really do anything about it myself. And in a lot of these places, even if you were able to do something about it yourself, because of the political storm that goes around this, you're just as likely to be charged with something as they are, perhaps more in some of these. Look at this uh, video. A lot of you saw this last week uh, with these. Uh, I think they, they appeared to be uh, Sikhs, or they might have been Pakistanis, but uh, because they were very, you know, rooted in their store. I mean, like a lot of people who come in from other countries and make a go of it, they had this store there, you know, and this this character had come in apparently times before and just was cleaning out all of their stuff. And he'd take cigarettes and stuff. And remember, in places like California, uh, cigarette tax is so high that you might as well just leave the cash register. The uh, tobacco products are worth more. And when you get tobacco products worth six, seven bucks a pack... And just push a bunch of them in a, in a big plastic bag in a one of those rolling trash cans. 
like this guy was doing. That's a lot of money that goes in there. I'm sure it was more money than was in the cash register. Apparently, it's the first time he'd been through. Now, of course, they finally held him down, and one of them came out and administered some uh, rough justice with a broomstick. And everyone expected them to be charged. And I think the only reason they weren't charged was because it made so much press. But think about that, that you would wait a second to wonder what's going to happen to those guys. And you're not talking about the criminal. You're talking about the guys that are defending themselves, trying to defend their store. What kind of society is that? How can anyone possibly feel safe in that? Now, even the elites out there that have walls around their houses are finding things aren't so good. I mean, I watched a video this week that had been taken uh, of them tearing, you know, just going like breaking the windows out of cars down the street to see what's in them and with no fear. Let's think about what a feral society really looks like. Hey, everybody, we're back. Thanks a lot for sticking around to the lower end of the show here as we come sweeping around the bottom of the clock. I hope I didn't uh, sound too depressing about uh, how feral our country has become. I mean, it's been a it's kind of a word that's been sticking in my head as I uh, watch and read the news from various places. And we see it pop up all over, like, what's happening society? Like I said, this, you have to ask yourself, has this happened before exactly? Well, no. But then many things that happened happened exactly the same before. And some of the time, I think, well, maybe this has happened and I just haven't read about it or... Uh, no one's recorded it. Of course, that's silly because if you had this kind of societal breakdown, somebody would have written about it. And I think it would be at least somewhat knowledge of base out there. The reality of it is that when things start to collapse, people understand they're collapsing. They just don't sometimes understand why. Because you see the, the symptoms, but what's the problem? Sometimes the problems were easily fixed uh, because you just didn't recognize it before. Sometimes it's so ingrained that it's really difficult to extract. And often, it's there because it benefits someone. They may have a short-sighted view of the world, their immediate gratification, but oftentimes it's benefiting somebody. Although sometimes it's hard to say. And then there's the spin-off. We have things out there that we wish to have happen, perhaps, uh, that always have consequences that are unintended or not thought out. And so when you do something like we see the progressives doing with society, chopping it up into little pieces and then having those pieces fight one another, and then swooping in to say, thank the Lord I'm here, and uh, my virtue uh, of accepting all of your flaws and all of your positions, all seemingly at the same time, means that I should be your leader. And anybody that opposes me as your leader, then of course, is not only against me, but they're against you. So I guess they're they're willing to tolerate the spin-off. Although I don't think it's necessarily a smart idea. Sometimes once you set something on the road, it's hard to make it turn like you want it to. So I was looking this week about this uh, endemic fighting that we have with kids. Now, everybody that's ever went to school realizes that school children fight from time to time. Now, it doesn't seem to be quite the same anymore. For one thing, there is a lot more fighting with females involved than there seems to be ever before. There's a lot of some pretty vicious attacks out there that come from, from females, from girls, sometimes women. Now, the question is, is do we see these more because there's cameras everywhere and it makes good video and they get posted? Eh, probably a little bit. But when you see what's going on, 
it brings it home a little bit more. So you have to say, well, it looks a little worse to me, but am I just seeing more of it because it's easier to get or is it because more of it's happening? Well, I think it is easier to get, but I think a lot more of it's happening. Because one of the stories I read this week, it was in the New York Post, I think, was talking about this uh, epidemic of videos. Now, this is something that's bizarre to me. A lot of people are committing crimes, taking video of it on their phone, and then posting it to social networking. Now, if you just stop and think about that for a few minutes, about what that means, and about what their attitude must be, not only to their own behavior, but what they think is going to happen to them, with how society treats that. And who are they posting them for? See, that's something we often don't think about. Okay, so you've posted a video of you stealing something, or you've posted a video of you beating someone up. Who's your audience? And what do you want them to reflect back to you from what you're posting out there? See, that's where the kind of visceral, primal, feral sort of thing comes into it. Now, let's not pretend that the coding of civilization is all that thick on anybody. We all like to think that we're very cultured and civilized. We never do this and that. But I think most of us know that in the right circumstances, uh, it's the Lord of Flies much more quickly than anybody would like to admit. But this is, this is sort of different. This isn't a different, completely different area. Like you crash on a plane, on an island, and things just begin to break down. This is within a society that we're creating, observing, and letting happen. So why are the why are they posting it? I mean, first of all, it's idiotic because much of it's criminal activity, and even in many cities, some of it's going to get someone's attention uh, in a, of authority. Now they might just come by and ask you not to do it anymore, but still, seems like something's going to happen. So whatever you see as consequences out there, you either see very little consequences, or whatever you see is worth the consequence to the sort of social reward that you get. I've talked before about something that that a probation officer told me a long time ago about uh, kids. He was a uh, juvenile probation officer. He'd been doing a long time. And he told me that he thought the hardest thing was when kids ran up this against this wall of where they couldn't feel like they could get around things and they couldn't succeed in some way or there was some obstacle they didn't feel like get over. And he said how their value system would turn upside down. You know, that instead of wanting to be the best at something, they want to be the baddest at it. Not bad at a sport or something like that, but the baddest dude or the baddest dudette now, I suppose. And that was easier, right, than it was to maybe succeed at being the best ball player or the smartest kid in school or anything like that. In some instances, it's, it took a lot less effort. It just took abandoning your principles. Let's face it, if you're willing to abandon your principles or the principles of society around you, let's put it like that, you can be a pretty dangerous person, and dangerous people do get attention, and they get people reacting to them fearfully. And if you're someone that craves people reacting to you, and you haven't been able to get it any other way, that makes you an easy mark for that stuff. And if there's no factor on the outside holding you back, right, There, there's no deterrence, right? We talk about deterrence a lot. If there isn't any deterrence in society, people that are kind of on the edge of that are going to go a lot further, a lot faster. Now, let's not kid with all this fighting and stuff that people don't like to watch fighting. Why do you think they watch MMA? Why don't we think we watch boxing? 
because there's a certain part of us that enjoys both the athletic piece of it, but also to see people contend the violence and the two forces crashing together. It's not something that just came up this last few years. And we can think back to some pretty extreme examples of this, the gladiatorial contests in Rome, for instance. Those are pretty brutal. I mean, people would get thrown literally to the lions or be forced to fight lions and bears and all sorts of, and some more exotic creatures, fight each other, sometimes to the death. And it was a pretty bloody spectacle. Part of the idea the Romans had about this, because it increased in its ferocity for a while, was that because they were all supposed to be soldiers, supposed to be legionnaires, or at least be inured to that, that, you know, the violence and the bloodshed and stuff, this somehow made people more uh, steeled against it. They weren't as bothered by it. I think it's a little thin of an idea. might have been an idea they thought it out with at one point, and then they found out they got crowds for it, and that just became an excuse. But let's not kid ourselves. If you had things like that now, don't you think you'd get an audience? I mean, what about those slap fights we have, <laughs> we have now? Uh, you know, I think it's Dana White from uh, UFC had this... Uh, you know, this competition for slapping one another that he sort of did in response to some of the criticism he was getting. People watch that. They want to see how much someone else can take. Someone else dishes it out. And then there is the part about there's a science to this and a skill set that's, that's very good to see. That's not what we're seeing here. Now we're just sort of seeing a collision out there among young people to try and get attention. Much of this is a cry for attention. I mean, we joke about that, like, oh, it's just that's just a cry for help. Some of it is. And some of it is that people are in a situation where they don't have any other way to express themselves, right? We've so shrunk their world down, we've compressed it down to where they just don't really know how to express themselves in another way. It sounds silly, but it's kind of true. I mean, look at the language. Have you heard uh, a lot of young people speak? Have you seen their texts? Have you seen an athlete interviewed on uh, one of the channels after a football game or something like that? How many words do you think they have in the vocabulary? How do you think they express themselves that way? And, and what do you think when you hear somebody mumbling the same 14 words over and over again? You think they got it going on? Think that person's uh, smarty pants? No, you don't. And... That's kind of a reflection of this idea that they don't know how to express themselves in any way. And that's because the educational system and the social system has failed them. They don't know where to go. So they take an easy way out. If they're lucky enough to be very good at something, a sport or academics or things like that, they can at least pour part of that search into this. But if they're not, they start looking around for something that's getting them attention a lot more simply. And you can think of many ways that adolescents will do that. And without any structure, and we've given up structure, haven't we? Look what's going on in the schools. I mean, the kind of structure they're trying to unleash is essentially to pour people, well, students, into an area where they get to run free. So long as they run free in the directions that the educational establishment sets. That used to be a good thing. You know, let's try and herd them together so they can read better. Make sure they could do some math. Oh, that's not obviously important anymore. Because what is most important in the educational system right now is diversity, equity, inclusion, and accepting everybody, 
you know, to be really, really open and accepting to ideas that we approve of and absolutely hysterically angry and threatening against ideas we don't. So there's not the kind of guidance. There's We talk about people having no moral compass. What do you think kids are getting a moral compass from now? The best they get is a bunch of virtue signaling, which isn't really a moral compass at all. It's just certain topics that they should be, you know, they should be on board with. Not a way of living, not a way of acting out, not a personal set of values and ethics. They're gone. They don't, there's nothing there. There's just getting attention. There is bending the knee to certain types of virtue that uh, come and go, really, in society. I mean, look at the, the transgender movement. How big was it five years ago? Now it seems everywhere. It's not really something that uh, indicates that it is a truism. You know, an age-old truism like telling the truth or, you know, having some respect or not stealing. You know, those things seem to be a little more ingrained. They're not as important now as some of the, whatever's the trick thing that day. And one of the reasons these kids don't get any structure is because either they don't have enough parents at home, they're lucky if they have one, and they're lucky if that one parent has got their act together, much less having two, which would be great if you had two that had their act together. And then I, I ran across this story that I thought said a lot about this lost generation we have of, you know, feral kids and then it's translating into going to be more feral adults. Here's a story from the, this was from your post too. It says, half of parents have no idea how to raise kids without a smartphone. Wow. <laughs> the study said that 43% have no idea how people raised children before they had a smartphone. Think about that for a minute. It said that uh, moms and dads regularly use their smartphones to shop for kids. Well, that's a little understandable. Use them 77 times a week to search for advice. 77 times a week on a asking Google for advice. Where can I find advice on this? How do I feed my... I mean, what do you think... What do you think kind of advice are they getting out there? 61% say it's the most helpful tool when raising their children. Wow. Didn't it used to be that the way you were raised was probably the best tool that uh, that you used to raise your children? That apparently doesn't come up very much anymore. One of the quotes is, We know the important role phones play in people's lives. As research shows, this role becomes even more important after they've had a child. Your phone becomes a critical addition to your family. There's part of the answer why nobody has any moral compass why they just wander around fighting each other and who knows what. I mean, it certainly opens the door for that, doesn't it? Think about that. I mean, most of us have an idea of how you raise kids by the way you were raised, what your parents told you, what seemed to work, what didn't seem to work. Nobody's perfect, but lots of times you get some pretty good ideas. This kind of shows that this generation may be coming from a generation that was already not very good at raising kids. And then the next generation doesn't have any idea how to do it. And so they've turned to Google or whatever sort of search aspect they're using on their phone. So it'll be AI, I suppose. And that's how they're doing it. It's not exactly generational help, is it? How do these kids grow? How do they grow intellectually? Let's talk about the language. It's just kind of a symptom, isn't it? When your kid has a, you know, is in high school and he seems to have a vocabulary of 500 words, what are they teaching him? The key to communication is expressing oneself in a way that people can get a hold of and want to hear. 
They want to hear it from you. That is communication. If you can't communicate well, people don't listen to you. If people don't listen to you, it makes you angry, doesn't it? There's another little problem. If people read a little bit more, maybe they'd be able to speak a little better. But that's the topic for another time. So I just wanted to say that about how we end up with this uh, strange society. And then, of course, it gets expressed uh, really well in terms of society's downturn, where you have people who are really hopeless, don't care, and see themselves as outside the law and are being allowed to exist outside the law. And by that, I mean the unhoused. Homeless is now decided to be more pejorative. So many people are these are the unhoused. In Denver, uh, in some of the business districts, a couple of not too far where I used to work downtown, uh, are their business is down 40%. Because of all the homeless encampments and so forth, I think some of these would be around the Lodo area and you know Broadway, all the way on the other side. And uh, they said they just can't go on this way. People won't come down. They don't like it. They don't feel safe because once again, it's not civilization when you let stuff go like this. And see how quickly we've always had transient populations, never this big. Percentage of them, perhaps, even during the Great Depression, when we had so many people out of work, and many of whom were roaming the country trying to find work. Uh, that's when we had the hobo and this and that, you know, on the riding the rails. And so, but you know, there's always been a few people like that. We used to call them saddle tramps in the in the West, things like that. But uh, and they're just people who don't put down roots. But now we have this huge population, and it's because uh, it's all okay. When it's all okay, when people look the other way. And do nothing to put some guardrails on it. It just gets worse and worse. It becomes the word I'm using way too much this this show today. Feral. Whatever constraints they had before slip away pretty easily, particularly when they're using a lot of drugs. Now that we allow open air drug use, and in Colorado, don't kid yourself, a lot of the, the unhoused came here uh, because marijuana was legal. We're still one of the most uh, open states about that. And of course, the city and county of Denver, as we said before, I mean, hallucinogenic mushrooms are, you know, not psilocybin are not exactly supposed to be a priority for the Denver Police Department. And that's a plus too, right? And after a while, you don't have any sense of anything if you're doped up all the time. And if you're on the edge of losing your home and your job and everything else, allowing that person to just further sink into oblivion with more drugs without any social comment on it to say that's a bad idea or in, a, in essence the imperator of society on it because it's now a revenue stream you're going to have more people fall off uh, their buildings and end up in the street and then you s- supply some money and some support for that and most of the time it doesn't go into the whole food store it goes into drugs and you know then some sort of just basic way to get by until they get more drugs. How fast does society break down to that? So, you know, I, I just don't want to make it all sound bad, like I'm just listing all these things. Look, there's a solution for this kind of stuff. And we all probably know it. And it doesn't have to be an immediate, you know, switch. Like you go from uh, well, everything's okay to, okay, everybody's going to jail. We couldn't do that if we wanted to. We don't have the resources. And we've also alienated so many people who are good at law enforcement that they've either quit and went to do something else 
or they've moved to other towns, so the towns that are the most problem have either officers that are uh, not very good or officers that are good that are looking to get out. They don't get any support. If they do their job right, what do they get? I mean, they're more under the microscope than the people are trying to catch. So we can't do that right immediately. We have to change that. We have to get law enforcement back into an honorable profession. We've got to stop this nonsense about defunding the police. And many of these people who wanted to defend the poli- defund the police now are saying that they, oh, we need to get more police out here. And they act like they never did that. They never acted like they didn't just walk away when things were getting burnt down and decide, well, that's all good because, uh, you know, these people are making a statement. And, uh, you know, they're making a statement about something that I can identify with with them so they'll be supportive of me. It's very, very uh, opportunistic. But we can we can change that a little bit. We can also change the laws here. I mean, what's happened in some of these state legislatures? I mean, we know what's happened with the legislators themselves. What happened to the population? I read these stories all the time about people who hate what's going on, but they don't seem to be doing anything politically. I mean, you may not like being a Republican if you're a progressive Democrat, but if Republicans are trying to help you out so that you have some protection so your business doesn't go under, maybe it's time to support that instead of being someone that is accepted at your friend's parties because they are progressive. I hate to say it, but, you know, conservatism's got to get cool again. And if it doesn't, then we're going to just stay like this. The second thing we, we can probably do is we have to take money that we're spending on all these ridiculous programs, and I know this isn't easy, we have to put it back in law enforcement. And I don't mean just in the cops. I mean, because having a lot of police out there is only a step. If you, if you don't have the courts available to have people push through them, if you don't have the prosecutors who actually prosecute crimes and judges who actually follow the law and not their last political stand, then none of that doesn't make sense. And you, and you can't do it unless you get more of them. And then you got to look at the system of how you elect them or how you choose them. And you see, this is all just an interwoven thing. But if you're willing to look at that system and say, if we can change the laws, change to make sure that we get enforcement, there's some place for them to be tried. And then at the end of the day, there's got to be some place to put them. If people get convicted of something, you have to come, you know, get some money to build jails, sometimes prisons. Everybody can't be released on bond the same day they come in. And just committing to those things, forcing your legislators to take count of what's important and not what's just important to them, what's important to society. That's the first step. Look at your candidates. We'll be back next week.